0: Uh, So last week we wrapped up our series called Built for More. And this idea of Built for More was that we as Christians, the people of God, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, are built for more than just gathering one time a week on Sunday mornings. We are built for spiritual family. We're built to gather around one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to invest into each other's lives, to pray for each other, and to be united even deeper than biological family, because if you surrendered your life to Jesus, you have the very Spirit of God living inside of you. We commit ourselves to the study of God's Word, and we commit ourselves to delighting in His Word. Uh, We commit ourselves to assembling and gathering together as we looked at two series ago as we talked about assembly being required. And as we gather, we confess sins to one another, we delight in God's word, and we gather to sing worship with one another and testify to God's deliverance. So really what we've been talking about is what's vitally important in the life of the church in order for us to continue to make impact going into this new season, going into these new times. Well, today I want to continue that theme as we take a break from our next series. uh, I'm going to be talking about something that's so vitally important to keep at the center of our church that if we take it out of the center of our church, our church will die. We're going to talk about the thing that's so vitally important that it will keep our church alive, thriving and impacting our community for the next hundreds and hundreds of years. The thing we're going to talk about today is the very core of our Christian faith. We're going to be talking about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 17 today. Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, pull out your cell phone, type in Romans chapter 1. Uh, If if you... uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, make sure you pull out your cell phone, your iPad. Uh, We use the English Standard Version here at Woodside. And so uh, we just want to talk about uh, this idea uh, of the gospel in our lives. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 17. The verse starts, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, before we dive into this text, whenever we look at a text, we have to understand what's going on in the book, what's going on in the chapter, what's going on with this literature, and what the message would mean to the people that it is written to. So, Romans is a letter written from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who used to be a persecutor of the church, the Apostle Paul, who used to be a Pharisee and a leader of the Jewish religion, who God one day saved on the road to Damascus by showing him that he was the one and only Christ. Paul turned from a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel and a planner of churches, and the apostle Paul went forth and preached the gospel throughout many communities, and many churches were established through his ministry. And so Romans was written to the church at Rome. Now we see within Romans chapter 1 that Paul had not actually visited the church at Rome, but he desires to visit the church at Rome. The reason he wants to visit them is to encourage them and to impart to them the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans is a letter, and so we have to understand that the apostle has care as he writes this letter to his friends who are the church at Rome. And so we look at this and we're going to see that the book of Romans first and foremost before anything else is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1:16 through 17 is the thesis statement of the entire book. Romans is like eating a medium rare piece of steak. It's substantial. It gives life. It's meaty. It tastes good. It's juicy. And you need to savor every single bite of the book of Romans. Yes, amen. I don't know if you're clapping for steak or for the book of Romans, but I could clap for both. So my two favorite books of the Bible are Ephesians and Romans. I've heard it said that everything you need to know about the Christian faith can be found in Romans. And so as we look at Romans, it's set up in two parts. The first part talks about the understanding of God, the theology. The second part talks about practical application in our lives, how we live out the gospel in our lives. I want to encourage you as we go into this very intense time of the presidential election season, start studying the book of Romans. Look at what the book of Romans says about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about what it says about how we live our lives in light of that gospel. Study the book of Romans and savor it. And the verse we're looking at today, Romans 16 through 17, is the very thesis of this entire book. It starts out, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, as we look at a text and we see that word for, the first question we have to ask is what is that word there for?" And what that means is it connects to a a previous verse or a previous idea. So we have to go back to verse 15 and see what the apostle says. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So what he's talking about is he's eager to come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in Rome. Now he gives the reason for that. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so as we look at the gospel, we see that it is the gospel that gives life. And it is the gospel that the Apostle Paul wanted at the center of the churches at Rome. Now we have had within the last 50 years within our society an example of some churches that have taken the gospel out of the center. Many mainline church denominations have been trying to, uh, to make themselves more palatable to the culture and become more culturally sensitive. And what they've done is they've taken the gospel out of the center of the church. Due to this, mainline denominations are—they are declining by one million members annually. One million members annually. Uh, In an article by a guy by the name of David Haskell, uh, which is entitled Liberal Churches Are Dying, but Conservative Churches Are Thriving, uh, in the Washington Post, David Haskell examines a 2015 study done by Pew Research Center that looked at different mainline denominations uh, throughout the country. Uh, the, The article reads this Mainline Protestant churches are in trouble, a 2015 report by Pew Research Center found. Mainline congregations, once a mainstay of American religion, are now shrinking by about one million members annually. Faced with this troubling development, clergy members have made various efforts to revive church attendance. It was almost 25, now 30 years ago, uh, that John Shelby Spung, a U.S. bishop in the Episcopalian Church, published a book called Why Christianity Must Change or Die. It was presented as an antidote to the crisis of decline in many mainline churches. Spong, who's a liberal theologian, said this. Congregations would grow if they abandoned their literal interpretation of the Bible and transformed along with changing times. In short, that they would take the gospel out of the center of the church because it's offensive and we need to get with culture. But what's actually happened is that this, this has actually become popular in many mainline seminaries where they teach their clergy people. Uh, different United Methodists and Evangelical Lutheran and PCUSA, Presbyterian USA and Episcopal churches have all adopted this idea of taking the gospel and the literal view of scripture out of the churches. But what they found is over the last five years, they did a study on 22 mainline congregations and they compared those uh, with the sample of those that were growing and those that were declining. And what they found is that conservative Protestant theology, with its literal view of the Bible, is a significant predictor of church growth while liberal theology leads to decline. The further you go away from the Bible, the further you go away from the very power of God and the church dies. And we have to continually bring the gospel to the center of absolutely everything that we do. For example, they found that 93% of clergy members and 83% of worshipers from growing churches agreed with the statement, Jesus rose from the dead with real flesh and blood body, leaving behind an empty tomb. Yes, there are pastors standing in pulpits saying that Jesus did not bodily resurrect from the dead. Yet the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if he did not, then we are most to be pitied. It also uh, compared with 67% of worshipers and 56% of clergy of members from declining churches. Only 56% believe Jesus rose from the dead. Furthermore, all growing clergy members and 90% of their worshipers agreed that God performs miracles in answer to prayer. Compared with 80% of worshipers and only 44% of clergy members from declining churches. Also, outside of this research, all other research found that exclusively conservative doctrine and dedication to the Bible and having the gospel at the center is the number one indicator of church growth and impact. And if you go away from the gospel, the church dies. And so we, as we go into this new season as our church, as we go into these times that we're facing right now, we have to continually bring our focus back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is it that when we take the gospel out that churches die? It's because the very power of God that brings salvation is found within the gospel. And so let's dive into Romans chapter 16 and see what the Apostle Paul says about the gospel. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the first thing we have to see is that we as the people of God must never be ashamed of the gospel of God. We as the people of God must always be proud and proclaim the gospel of God. We must never be ashamed of the gospel of God. Now we have to look at what this word ashamed means. It means to experience a painful feeling or sense of loss of status because of some particular event or activity. To be ashamed. No, I've, I've encountered Christians that are actually ashamed of being Christians. When they're asked about their faith, they very sheepishly put their head down and say, I, I, I'm a Christian. It's just something I, I do. Or, or when asked, why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Well, I'm a Christian. Or when asked, how come your life looks different than everybody else? Why don't you do these things? Well, I'm a Christian. I kind of got to do this stuff. Or, hey, I heard you're a Christian. And the response is, yeah. Or maybe we're ashamed to live out the faith of Jesus Christ. We're, we're okay with claiming his name, but we're, we're not okay with living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to call this being a cool Christian. Uh, before I came to faith in Jesus Christ, when people used to come to me and say, Hey, man, I heard you're a Christian, I'd be like, Yeah, man, but don't worry, I'm a cool Christian. And what I meant by this statement was that, yeah, my my parents, they they grew me up in church. I went to youth group. I did a one I did all these things. Uh, But in reality, if if you want to do anything, I'm down for it. I'm going to live like the rest of the world. I may claim Jesus, but I'm not going to live for him. And then Christ saved me. And I came to a realization that the gospel not only is lip service, but life service. The gospel transforms everything about us. It changes the way that we live. And we may never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at this whole idea of being ashamed, we have to ask the question is the Apostle Paul ashamed here? Well, we see very clearly, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what does he say he's not ashamed of? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you may have heard this word used all over the place, the gospel, and people use it like everybody understands what it is or everybody understands what it means. What the word gospel means is good news. Good news. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have good news that you have been saved from your sin, you have been saved from an eternity in hell, and you've been saved from a life lived purposelessly, and you can live for Christ and live your life for him alone and for his glory. And this is good, good news. The gospel means good news. But the Apostle Paul is actually defined earlier in chapter 1 what the gospel is he's talking about. Look at Romans 1, 1 through 6. "...through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations." Simply put, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the promise of God to redeem a people for himself, to save them from their own sins, and to save them from his wrath and punishment upon them by giving them a Messiah, one who would pay the penalty for their sins as the ultimate sacrifice, then giving them grace in order that they could receive the gospel by faith and their life would be changed. Then the Christian's life, as it says here, is about helping others bring about the obedience of the faith for a reason, for the sake of his name among all the nations. It's very plain there in a summary that the gospel is about Christ giving us a sacrifice, saving us from Satan, sin, and death in order to change us, that we would make his name great and bring glory to him among all the nations. We talked about that in Psalm 67 last week, that God blesses himself a people in order that they could bless others, and that his glory would be made known among all the nations. And so as we look at the gospel, that is what the Apostle Paul is saying it is. Now we also have to understand what the gospel is not. First, the gospel is not Jesus plus anything else. The gospel is not Jesus plus my good works. The gospel is not Jesus plus baptism for salvation. The gospel is not Jesus plus another God. The gospel is not Jesus plus any other way. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus anything else equals no gospel. There is only one gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, the life is singular. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the gospel, and there is only one way to write relationship with God. Other world religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, they, they want all of their religious deeds to save them. It's all based upon works. If you just do all of the right things or you do certain acts, well, then maybe God or the universe will accept you. So we know what the gospel is not. It's Jesus plus nothing else. Now, we have to understand what the gospel is. First, the gospel is by grace alone. We have to understand we cannot save ourselves. There's no work or merit that we can do to save ourselves. You know, when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, one of the indicators that a lot of people use in order to see if a person has faith in Jesus Christ is to say, if you stood before God in heaven and God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? Well, 90% of the time, you're going to get some answer about, well, I'm a really good humanitarian or did a lot of really good deeds, or I went to church on Christmas and Easter, or my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, or I try really hard and I would hope that God would let me into heaven. These are all answers that you're going to hear. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Again, we see it's something we cannot do on our own. It's by grace alone, by faith alone, and it's for the glory of God alone. We see that with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that should give us great joy. If you're a Christian today, you had nothing to do with it. God saved you. God snatched you out of the pits of hell and a life that was worthless and purposeless, and he has made you his own child. And that's a beautiful truth of the gospel, amen? Amen. <laughs> Second, we see that it's faith alone. I paid him to do that. Uh, faith alone. This is the truth that stems out of knowing God. Uh, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, certainty of things not yet seen. So that has to be given to you from God, this idea of faith. Assurance of things hoped for, certainty of things still not seen. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says we're given grace and we're given faith. It's not of our own doing. But we have faith that we cannot save ourselves, but there is a sacrifice that went before us that can save us and that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross that we would be forgiven and that God would get great glory. Finally, it is through God alone. It is God who acts God is the one who makes the Holy Spirit reside within a person, making a spiritually dead person come to life and respond in faith to the gospel. It's a beautiful gift from God. And there is no other gospel. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is what Paul is talking about here. And Paul says in Galatians 5 that there is no other gospel. He says, even if an angel comes to you and says a gospel different than what I just preached to you, ignore it. Because the enemy will use any, he will use any means necessary in order to distract us from the true gospel. He's called Lucifer, an angel of light. He's not going to come with a devil pitchfork and, and, and red fork tail. That's not what the devil looks like. He comes as a beautiful being trying to distract us from the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why? Is it because the gospel's done so much for Paul? You know, I've heard different people who claim their Christianity say, well, I'm a Christian uh, because if I follow Jesus, that I'm going to get all my wealth. I'm going to be healthy all the time. Everything's going to be great for me. I know that if I follow Jesus, it's like having a winning lottery ticket. I can get whatever I want in this life. Is that why the Apostle Paul's not ashamed? It's because God gave him all of these amazing, great things on this earth. Well, let's listen to the Apostle Paul's ministry for just a second. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. "'Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. "'I spent a night and a day in the open sea. "'I've been constantly on the move. "'I've been in danger from rivers, "'in danger from bandits, "'in danger from my fellow Jews.' in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concerns for all the churches. That's the Apostle Paul's life. He's a man who walked around firmly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, who was beaten, who was put in prison, who who was put in the worst circumstances, sometimes didn't have a place to lay his head. But he still says in Philippians 3, I consider everything as loss compared to knowing Christ. This dude was nuts. (laughs) Because he understood the gospel. And he explains why. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Let that sit with you for just a minute. The gospel is the power of God. That's the second thing we have to realize is when we are encountering the gospel, the gospel is the very power of God. When you speak the gospel to friends and family members, to coworkers, you speak the very power of God. And the reality is the apostle Paul even says that he didn't come with eloquent speech. He wasn't trying to convince them. He says, I came to preach one thing and that was Christ and him crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews. He knew the gospel was offensive. Yet we don't have to be offensive in our proclamation of the gospel. We can say it with a very kind and nice voice. We don't have to convince anybody. We don't have to be so eloquent that they're, that they're going to all of a sudden, because of how great you were, turn to Jesus because you explained it in such a way that they were like, wow, you are so smart. I've never heard it that way before. I used to think that way. I used to think before I understood that God was in control of salvation, that I had to go out and I had to be a salesperson for Jesus. And I had to go forth and I had to present the gospel in such a way to convince somebody. And if I did, if I got their heartstrings enough and if I, if I just played on their emotions enough and they could just come to this place where they would pray this prayer and then I could say, all right, you're saved. And then there was no follow-up. There was no, there was no fruit in this person's life. There was no discipleship that occurred. We have to realize that it is not us who saves people. It is God who saves people through us. The gospel proclaimed is the power of God that saves. And it can be said simply like this You're living a life right now where you continually come to me and you're just empty. And you you feel like your life is purposeless. And you feel like there's something missing. Here's the truth it is. Your life is purposeless right now and it's empty. But here's what it's missing it's missing Jesus Christ. And here's the the truth. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross for your sins, that you could turn to faith in him. And if you do that and surrender your life to him, he will save you, not only from hell, but also to a new life, to a purposeful life. Your purpose on this earth is to worship and glorify God. That's why we are created. We are made to worship. We are made to worship God. So we must always keep the gospel at the center because it is the power of God that saves. We must never be a church that avoids the gospel. To talk about self-help or to talk about how much Jesus just wants us to have our best life now and that means all of the best things in life. Or to talk about that Jesus is only one way to salvation, there's multiple other ways. Or to just take the gospel out totally, not preach the Bible and just have current events every single Sunday. We can never do that. We can never do that in our churches and we can never do that in our lives. Listen, brothers and sisters, here's a realization that I've come to. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, your life's going to be hard. When we're Christians, our life is going to be hard. So if we've given our lives to Jesus, and we know our lives are going to be hard and difficult, we are given Jesus when we give our lives to Jesus. And eternal life is defined in John 17 as knowing Christ in Jesus whom he has sent. Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent that's eternal life. We get a relationship with God Did you know in John 14? Jesus says that I go and prepare a place for you Well, why does he do that? Well, he says listen if i'm going to go and prepare a place for you I'm going to come back and i'm going to receive you unto myself. Listen to this. So where I am you may be also Now that's cool That's a cool god that's an awesome, loving, powerful God who knows that we're facing these struggles in our lives. Yet we can dive into that depth of relationship with Him. We can find peace that passes understanding. We dive into His word. We fall into His arms and we and we enter into this deep relationship where we can be crazy like Paul, who says, I consider everything is lost compared to knowing Christ. That's what he says. But we can only do that by diving into the gospel, by implementing the gospel in our lives, and by hearing the word preached, by studying the word, by, by, by implementing it fully into our lives and not getting distracted by things that are going on around us. We need to turn to the word and not the news. We need to turn to the word and not social media. We need to get off of our Facebook and get our face in the book. We have to continually study his word. Because what's on media is only gonna make us upset. But also we can also we can also preach the gospel to everyone. You see the gospel it crosses all boundaries. Look at what the text says. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It crosses all ethnic boundaries. It's for the Jew and the Gentile. That's all ethnicities. The gospel unites us. The gospel is what we must focus on in these times with the tension that is in our country to link arms with brothers and sisters and say, let's reach the world for the gospel and the glory of God's name, not my own platform. We have to get back to the gospel. It is the word that changes lives, and it's the word that we can unite around. And the gospel is powerful. Author C.S. Lewis says this, the gospel is like a lion. All the preacher has to do is open the door of the cage and get out of the way. We just speak the gospel. We just let a lion out of its cage to destroy Satan's sin, and death, and to change a person's life. The text says, though, the gospel is to everyone who believes. We see there it's conditional. We have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. We have to surrender our lives to God. Just because Jesus died on a cross and you grow up in a Christian household does not mean that you are saved The reality is, is that there are people who've grown up in Christians' homes, who've prayed prayers of salvation, but then their life looks nothing like it at all, and they turn away from God. Those people need to turn to faith in Christ and surrender their lives to Him. If you're somebody here today who's just getting by on your parents' faith, surrender your life to Jesus. Give your life to Him. He'll change your life, because it's not based upon your parents being Christians, not based upon you going to Awana, you going to church, you going to youth group, you going to kids' ministry. We each have to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and continually focus on the gospel and make it the center of everything. It is to everyone who believes. It is conditional. Those who do not believe are not saved from Satan, sin, hell, and death. It is only through Christ. And it spans everything. And it unites us all. Well, why does the gospel save Well, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, we look at this idea of the righteousness of God. It's kind of a really big idea. Um, Theologian, a studier of God, John Stott, puts it this way. He says there's a huge amount of literature that's been written on this, but I'm going to try and sum it up in three points. First, he says it describes the very character of God. It defines who he is, and it's similar to God's holiness. It's, It's him. Second is the righteousness of God. It's God's activity where he, 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 he declares someone righteous who puts their faith in him. Meaning that they are in right standing with him. And third, it refers to the believer's righteous status that results from God's justification. Basically, if you were to stand before a jury and you were convicted of a crime and you were guilty of that crime... And then somebody came and they said, I'll pay their penalty for them. I will take their punishment upon myself. Well, then you are right again with that judge because your penalty has been paid for. And that's what Christ did. He died on a cross for our sins. So we are made righteous and right before him. So what is revealed in the gospel is that we can be made right with God. And more than that, we can enter into depth of worship, understanding, and knowledge of God for our entire lives. Yet we have to understand that the gospel does not stop at salvation. The gospel does not stop at salvation. The gospel continues through our entire lives. What is the gospel? The gospel is life. The gospel is our lives. It changes every area of our lives. So we have to come to that realization. The gospel means that I don't have to try harder, but that I have to surrender. Do you realize how radical this idea is? Other world religions say, try your best to clean yourself up and then maybe God will accept you. God says, come to me how you are, dirty and broken and wretched, and and I'm going to change you because I love you, because I want to make you my son or daughter. I don't care what your past is. I want to make you mine. That's incredible. That will change the way we live. And that's why we always must keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do, the center of our preaching the center of our music, the center of our life groups, and the center of the lives of all of those who are within this church. As I invite the team forward, as we prepare to close, I just want to challenge us as we go into this presidential season and we go into this new season for our church and new ministry for our church, that we as the people of God would saturate ourselves with the gospel. That we would be unashamed gospel preachers. That we would be proud of the gospel. And we would be proud of being followers of Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life for you and for his father's glory. And society today is going further and further away from the gospel. So many churches are saying that other things are more important than the gospel. We have self-help messages, we have, we have messages about how God only wants to make you healthy and wealthy and wise. We have an over-focus on the current events that are going on. We have to continue to go back to the gospel. And the gospel informs everything in our lives. It informs our marriages, it informs our money, it informs how we spend our time, it informs how we vote. It informs everything. And the reality is, I have to tell you, that as we go into this new presidential election season, we have to look at two key things that the scripture clearly talks about and the gospel would speak to. It is the sanctity of human life, of the unborn, and it is the sanctity of marriage. The protection of the life of the unborn and the sanctity of marriage. These are two things that the gospel, the word of God, clearly speaks to. And so I want you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, to think about your vote as being a vote of God. Because we represent God on this earth, and we must never support anything that the word of God clearly disqualifies. We have to continue to let the gospel change our lives. We have to live in our marriages in a way that is loving and caring, and husbands are loving our wives as Christ loved the church. We have to keep the gospel at the center of raising our kids. We have to keep the gospel at the center of our conversations. And we have to continually go back to the gospel because it's what we can unite around and it is what will change our world. It is the only thing that will change our world. So pray. Pray for the gospel to go forth. Pray for God's word to be known. Pray for God's people to arise. And pray for God to do what only He can do, which is transform lives and change eternities. Because the gospel is the way that God has made the right relationship with Him. The gospel is the miracle of bringing spiritually dead people to life. The gospel is the promise that God kept from eternity past that He would give a Messiah to Save us, and the gospel is Jesus Christ Himself, the light in the darkness. And we need Him in this world. The gospel is Jesus Christ Himself, the gospel is our God. So let's stand together and sing to our miracle worker, our way maker, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness, our God. Let's praise Him.